as that's going around, we'll begin to uh, just dial in. If you got a Bible, you should open it up to Proverbs chapter 3 and put a finger in there, and then you should go to 1 Kings. Um, you can get to probably chapter 3 there um, and put a finger in there. We're going to bounce around a little bit. We're walking into a new series. So if you've been tracking with us, uh, we, we went through things that Jesus said that were sometimes controversial. And then we went into parables and teachings that, that Jesus did that, that were stories and things that came along, truths about the kingdom of God, that we were able to extrapolate how those truths impact us today. And we're going to shift now, and we're going to move back in time a little bit further uh, in the scriptures into Proverbs for the next uh, several weeks. And we're just going to take on some incredible pieces of wisdom that will, if we add them to our lives, ultimately uh, help us uh, to accomplish everything God's called us to do. And I love uh, Proverbs. I love it because Proverbs is one of those places, if, if you're new to your Bible and you're just getting into the Word of God and you're one of those, uh, uh, I, I like to call it like a shotgun approach where you just open up and then bam, put your finger down and read something and hope that it's helpful. Proverbs is a great place to land because most of what you hit in there is going to be pretty relevant and pretty helpful to your life. And so it's very difficult to go wrong uh, in Proverbs uh, and miss it. But today we're going to dive into one of the Proverbs that is probably, I think in my walk with Jesus, this is the second scripture I ever learned by heart. And so early, early on in my walk with Jesus, I was a teenager and I came across this passage and it got into my heart and it got into my life. Now, this is the one you want on your t-shirt, okay? This is gonna be the one that you wanna put on your fridge, that you wanna stencil on the wall of your nursery. You know, you don't want, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out on your kid's wall. Uh, <laughs> while he's growing up. But this one that we're gonna get to today, this would be helpful. You could definitely put this on your, uh, on your kid's wall and that would be really, really huge because today we're gonna talk about trusting God. Trusting God. I was thinking about um, how it's really, really hard sometimes to make big decisions, really big decisions. And I don't know if you've ever been on the crusp or the cusp of a big decision and you're trying to figure out in this big decision, God, what are you saying to me? I don't want it to fail. So can you somehow, God, line up your power, your energy, your resources with my desire for this big decision to go the way I want it to go? And, uh, and oftentimes we, we find, what I love about this passage is we find ourselves gravitating to this place in Proverbs talking about wisdom and trusting God, and we find ourselves moving in that direction. But oftentimes it's because we have a big decision or a big dilemma and, uh, and today we're just going to talk a little bit about how trusting God in the midst of all of those decisions is more of a lifestyle than it is a means to an end. So if you check out and you listen to just that much, you'll know exactly where we were going to land the plane today because making big decisions are hard things to do. I can remember in my youth ministry years, almost 15 years of working with teenagers, oftentimes I'd sit with students and they'd be trying to come up with decisions like, where should I go to school next? And what should I do with the rest of my life? And how should I, how should I figure out you know, where I'm going to head and what I'm going to do? And one of the things we'd always land on is how do we make good choices and how do we learn some wisdom? I can think of many times just walking around the block with students and talking about wisdom. 
and making good decisions and making good choices. But wisdom's a hard thing to do. And so I wanna kind of define wisdom for you a little bit. So I'm gonna throw it up on the screen for you here because Proverbs is all about wisdom. Wisdom is acting on the knowledge that you have gained. Wisdom is actually acting on the knowledge that you have gained. Sometimes I think we have a hard time delineating between knowledge and wisdom. And so I'm gonna give you something kind of funny to help you see the difference between knowledge and wisdom. So knowledge is knowing how to shoot a gun, right? Knowledge is knowing how to shoot a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to pull the trigger. Can you see the difference? You can have knowledge. You can know how to shoot a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to pull the trigger. Now, I figured I'd put a gun illustration up there, and I'd see who winced and who was like, oh, that's cool. And so I just, you know, just reading the room here a little bit, seeing who's frowning at me right now. But does that make sense? So as we talk about Proverbs, Proverbs and wisdom is all about how do you apply what you know? So I can remember time after time uh, with students, with families, sitting down, talking to them. And one of the things I always say is, what is the conclusion that you'd like to see happen in this situation? And let's work backwards from there. How do you want this story to end? How do you want your story to end? And wisdom is making decisions to end up in the desired destination where you want to go. Wisdom is beginning with the end in mind. It's beginning with the end in mind. Some of you, that was, that was it. That was the price of admission. You should write that down, text it in your phone, set it as your Facebook status or whatever, and you can bounce. You're good. Wisdom is beginning with the end in mind. The difference between knowledge and wisdom, you can know something, but when you apply your actions to attempt to achieve that end result, You've now moved in wisdom. That's wisdom. So the Bible tells us that wisdom is something we can ask for. It says that God will provide it. If we ask and we don't doubt, that he'll actually provide us with wisdom. You know why? Because God always has the best end in mind. He always desires the best end in mind. So if we align our knowledge with his foreseeable ending, we'll always move in wisdom. God always has the best end in mind. So this is, a, this is the dilemma. So you're going to see how my psychosis works, right? We always want to make the best choice, but how do we make those choices? Well, we want to have the best end in mind, but we want to have God's preferable best end in mind. And I know if I ask God, he'll give me wisdom to move in that way. So here's my real question. How do I know if I've heard God? If I have heard God, can I really trust God? Will he do what he says he's going to do? Did it prove itself every time? And then all of a sudden I get myself all worked up and antsy. And I'm like, ah, big decision. Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> and so in the midst of all this, here comes this kernel of knowledge out of the book of Proverbs. And it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I don't know what version you learned it in, but essentially it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Maybe this says submit to him. And he will direct or make your paths straight. I'm going to leave that up there for a second. I want you to read it to yourself. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
lean not on your, see, we're always going to lean on something, right? Sometimes we're going to lean on our skill set. Sometimes we're going to lean on our wallet or our credit card. Sometimes we're going to lean on that person that we're counting on. Some, we're always going to lean on something. And Proverbs tells us, whatever you do, don't lean on the fact that you think you got it all figured out. That's the worst case scenario. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Hmm. Well, to get into that, we're going to have to get into who wrote this and what they said. But, but here's what I want you to understand. When we live this, when we live this principle and we really begin to trust God, he really does direct our paths. It's amazing. And so what I wanted to do today, we do baby dedications here. I don't know if you've seen that happen before. Um, the plan is a couple of times a year, we're going to do baby dedications. We'll have all the babies come up at once. and We'll do some cool, you know, big group baby dedication. It'll be awesome. But today, we're going to do a very specific baby dedication because it connects with where we're going today. So I'm going to invite the Ball family to come on up here. And if you don't know their story, I'm going to have them share a little bit of their story on why we're dedicating the babies today. And I just want you to understand, this is what trusting God with all our heart looks like. And so, uh, so I'm going to let them share their story a little bit. And then um, first, Sean, we introduce everybody who's up here, and then, uh, and then I'll come up. Hey, church. Hey. Family. How are you? I think I know most of you, and most of you know us. I'm Sean. This is Jill, Ethan, Ellie, Isaac, and Grandma, and Grandma Connie. Um, we get the opportunity today to dedicate these three to the Lord and to guiding them. I've only got five minutes, so I could spend 30, but I can't. I'm not supposed to. Um, <laughs> Pastor Chris once said that blessing is on the other side of obedience. So back in, in the story is that Jill and I were married in 2004. The first year and a half, almost two years, were really rocky. We were constantly in the trying to keep up with the Joneses part of life. We were young. We thought, well, more money. We need to buy nicer cars. We need to figure this stuff out. We had no idea who the other really was. And so the word divorce came up, and it hurt. And we decided in that moment that it was time we would leave everything. We would drop it all and choose us, choose us over all the money, all the, the glitz, the glam, whatever. Um, and so we moved to the Oregon coast to live on my parents' property. Um, that was weird. But <laughs> we made that choice two days after getting to the Oregon coast, we found out that this one was on the way. And we believe him to be our reward from God for choosing our marriage. Now, that leads into Ethan. Most of you know Ethan. He's very tall. He's very, 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 very literal, incredibly compassionate. And he has, I know, <laughs> he's up there. Um, he's confused about why he's on the screen. Ethan has a huge heart. He really, really does. Um, he cares immensely 
about other people. When he was two, we were at the park, and he was talking to uh, a woman and was telling her about his, his brother and sister in heaven. And she came over and was very apologetic, and we were like, oh, no, no, he, he's been known to have visions his whole life. I think he was seeing these two, his brother and his sister. And that's incredible. Now, I, I don't have much time, so I won't be able to spend much time on these two, but <laughs> most of you know that on Friday, this one, Ellie, became ours in the eyes of the court. And so her name changed on Friday. She is now a Baugh. She is L. Liana Baugh and beautiful. Jill wants to take the mic from me, so I'm going to let her. Because <laughs> I know you could do a whole sermon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Sorry. No, that's okay. And with Isaac, really quick, we just want to say that we, in speaking about obedience, we, um, we want, wanted to continue our family. We wanted to expand our family. And so we knew we, at the around, around the same time we had a calling for adoption. And um, we started down the adoption path, but we weren't ready, it wasn't panning out, and so we were like, okay, maybe biological is the way to go again. So we started the, down the biological path, and that wasn't panning out, and we're like, okay, maybe it's the foster adoption, let's try that. And so we started down that path, and that wasn't panning out, and then we tried biological again, and we had a miscarriage, and then it was like, okay, let's try foster again, and so we tried fostering, and six weeks after we got our foster license, we found out we were pregnant. So, uh, you know, you hear those stories. Um, so we, uh, at that point, having wanting to foster a baby and being pregnant with a baby, it changed our plan completely. And then um, we found out that we were having a little boy, and everybody was sure that we were going to have a little girl. In fact, they were so sure that Grandma came, and she only bought one outfit, and it was a girl's outfit because we were, we were sure. Yeah. Um, but it was our Isaac. And so then we were all a little confused because a couple of years prior, somebody, Ari Amber, had, had walked into our house and burst into tears when she came into our house for the first time in this baby's room, and she said, I see you rocking a baby girl in this room, and she's going to have dark, curly hair. <laughs> and so when we were pregnant, we for thought for sure this is our dark hair little girl. And it wasn't. It was Isaac. It was our blonde boy. And uh, <laughs> about four weeks later, we got a call for Ellie. And, um, and we knew like we were going to seem like we were crazy because we were six months pregnant, but we accepted a six-week-old baby girl. And uh, so we've had dreams of raising them as virtual <laughs> twins. And that's, uh, and that's where we're at now. So God is totally, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily biological and it wasn't necessarily adoption. It was both at the same time. And so we're, we're incredibly grateful. And God is faithful, very faithful. He is so faithful. So thank you, thank you. On Friday, we had to declare and hold up our hands for this little one in front of the court, right? and declare that we were going to put her first and we were going to have her best interest at heart. Today, we stand in front of you, our church, and more importantly, in front of our, the Almighty. And we declare the same for these three and that we will guide them to know him and to know his love and we will love them. And that is our declaration. Amen. Thank you guys. Stay here for just a minute. Church, we're, uh, 
one of the things I get to do, this is really, really fun, is I get to ask you guys a couple questions, and then you guys can just answer with we will, and then we're going to just extend a hand and pray for them, and uh, this is amazing. So, will you commit to pray for your child? A parent's responsibility to pray for their child does not end at their dedication, but continues until the day uh, those children, I guess I should say plural, commit their lives to the Lord. Do you commit to pray for Isaac, Ethan, and Ellie? We're taught in Ephesians 6.4 to bring up your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And Proverbs 22.6 says, train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not turn from it. If we, while our children are young, instruct them in this way, it's highly likely that they, uh, those ways will develop into a lifetime commitment. Do you commit to instruct and discipline Isaac, Ethan, and Ellie in the ways of the Lord? Good. It does your children no good to instruct them in the ways of the Lord if you yourself do not walk the talk. Therefore, you must always be examining yourself and your witness to your children. In Proverbs 27, the righteous man leads a blameless life, and blessed are their children after them. The main reason for this blessed state is that uh, they have someone to look up to as an example and model their own behavior after. As parents, we must strive to be this example to our children. Do you commit to be a living example of Christ for Isaac, Ethan, and Ellie? Good. Church family, would you extend a hand, and we're going to pray. Woo! God, thanks for your provision, your blessing, and these children. Thanks for a plan that we never would have walked down without trust and hope in you. Thanks for clarifying and directing our paths even when we don't see it. Thanks for three wonderful children and a wonderful family to support them. Thanks for an amazing church family to come alongside and, and be the living example. May we also live up to that, uh, that declaration of living for you in a way that, that all the children of our church would see. God, we love you and we thank you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Thank you, God. It's a hard thing to be in the storm and in the process, and not know what God's doing, and still trust him. It's a challenge, and uh, it's a tough thing. And so Solomon writes these incredible words, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. Solomon writes that. So as I studied this, there were so many directions I wanted to go, but ultimately I felt like we just need to talk about a person who could write these words in such a way that it still impacts us today. And so I want to think a little bit about about this idea of trusting. But before I do, let me just ask you some general questions. In your life, do you find that you're someone who is generally on your scale of 1 to 10 of trust? Do you usually trust really, really high, or do you usually trust really, really low? Give me a number. Just wave it out at me. Yeah, give me 1 to 10. Come on. Yeah. There's a couple single hands going up. Yeah. A couple double hands going up. Yeah, that's okay. We can interact in church a little bit. Yeah, good. There's reasons that we have hard times trusting. And usually when we have a hard time trusting, it's because we have seen something in the person and we know people. And so we have a hard time trusting. What's really difficult is to take the way we trust people and then we go to the Lord. 
And our scale for trust sometimes scales with how we interact with God. So when you're naturally trusting, most of you who are naturally trusting, you've maybe six, seven, eight, nine, and tens on the scale, you're probably naturally more inclined to trust God. Those of us that are twos, threes, fours, ones, zeros, that trusting thing is often really, 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 really challenging. So I want to take us into the life of Solomon a little bit. And you have your Bibles open. Just flip over to 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to kind of take you through his story some. Because this incredible man who wrote these words has a pretty incredible lesson to teach us about trusting God with all of our heart. Solomon's story is amazing. The kind of person who trusts God. His dad was King David. Most of you have heard of him. His mom was Bathsheba. Some of you know that story. If you think about it, if your dad's the king, your mom was, you know, we don't have a description of Bathsheba, but I'm assuming the way that the king and Bathsheba met had a lot to do with some eye candy. All right? You can read the story. Essentially, Bathsheba was pretty good looking. You know, he had the daddy's rich and mama's good looking thing lined up at the level that you couldn't imagine. And he inherits the kingdom over all his brothers. And he, this is amazing, is the only king that we see, I think, in the history of Israel who has peace for his reign. He's not fighting. His dad's already accomplished everything that needed to get accomplished in the military world. He has peace and wealth and all of those things. He gets to be king at the apex of all the world leaders that have ever existed in our history that we know about, I'm not sure that anyone has as good of a 40-year run as Solomon has. He gets to be king. He gets to be wealthy. He doesn't have enemies um, until very late in the story that we get to for that run. He has a pretty good setup. He has all the things that you and I would go, yeah, if I had those things, I'd do pretty well also, right? If I had unlimited resources... If I had peace, if I had good looks, probably, right? All those things would work. So here's Solomon, and he becomes the king at a relatively young age. We don't know the exact age. It's probably around 20 years old. It's young enough that he refers to himself as a little child when he's praying to God. And he becomes the king, and this incredible thing happens. Early on, early on in the process, he has a dream, and God shows up to him in that dream. Not only does he got wealth, influence, power, whatever else good looks, he has an encounter face-to-face with God in his dream, and he gets to interact with God. He has one of the coolest things happen to him in all the scriptures. God shows up, and he has an interaction with God, and God says, hey, why don't you ask me for whatever it is you think you'll need? I want you to think about that for just a second. If God asked us today what it is we think we need, what would come to the top of your list? Just think about it for a second. God, if I just had all my hair. No, I don't know. What's the thing? What's the, if I could just sing, right? <laughs> just let me be tall. Come on. It's not asking too much. I just want to be able to throw a football over that mountain. <laughs> what is it? He has this moment with God where he can ask for anything. 
I'm going to read a little bit of the story here. It says, this is how he responded. Verse 7, 1 Kings chapter 3. It's on the screen. It says, now, O Lord, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and don't know how to carry out my duties. But your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count our number. Now look at what he asked for. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Let's hold right there just for a second. What a profound thing to ask the Lord for. He could ask God for everything, anything. I'm thinking like, didn't he think of flight or something? I don't know, something cool, right? I don't know. God said anything. God's not bound by, all right. Anything. And he says, give me these two things, a discerning heart and the ability to tell the difference between good and evil. Now, I was looking at this, and a couple things just hit me like a ton of bricks. One is, oh, Jesus, I pray for the leaders of my nation that they would have this same heart. Can you imagine just getting to sit under a leader whose primary concerns were a discerning heart and the ability to know the difference between good and evil? Whoo! That just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, we need to pray that over our leaders, period, period. Right? I'm watching the news just like you're watching the news, and I don't see a discerning hearts or any concern for what's good or evil anywhere out there. And I'm just thinking if those two principles were in our leadership, it would literally change everything. But then I had to bring it a little bit closer. I was like, okay, that's, that's nice, but I don't have, a, you know, other than in, in the heavenlies, I can't influence that. So I started thinking about our community and our community leaders. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if our community leaders, if the thing that they prayed for, the thing that they had more than anything else was a discerning heart and the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong? What would that do to our community? What would that do to Puyallup and the South Hill and, and the Tacoma area and the Puget Sound if, if the folks, and I thought, man, we need to pray that over our leaders. But then I had to bring in a little smaller circle and I said, ooh, what if our homes, what if our parents, those of us moms and dads, what if we asked from God what Solomon asked from God and said, God, I know you can do anything but here's what I know I need. Who could manage this household? Come on now. You're looking around going, please, God, grant your servant a discerning heart. A discerning heart. I want to be able to know what's true and what's not true. I want to be able to push through and understand what you say and what you mean. When there's a conflict, come on, the kids are screaming, one's on the ground, we don't know what's going on. I don't want to just go, knock it off, you're both wrong, and a foot on each of them, submit, you know, whatever it takes. I don't want to be there. Was that too vulnerable? Can you chop that from the podcast, right? right? No, I don't want to just snap like that, right? I want a discerning heart. I want ability to see, hey, someone's in pain. Someone didn't communicate well. Something happened and something went wrong. What's going on here? And, oh man, can you imagine? Can you imagine if in our homes, we just made a stand for the difference between what's good and what's evil? Can you imagine as, as a body of Christ, just even in this room, if the two things we really, really pursued was a discerning heart 
what's really going on in this situation? Right? I'm not going to come judging. I'm not going to bring my baggage. I'm going to just hear what's happening in your life, in your heart, in your situation. I'm going to be sensitive to the circumstances of your life without applying all my bias. And, and I'm going to trust you to be sensitive to the circumstances of my life. And you're not going to start from a position of judgment or any of those things or think somehow I got what I was entitled to when my life's a mess. And, and I'm not going to say that about you either. And we're going to just start with discerning hearts. And can you imagine, uh, and I'm just going to be real, right? Isn't it just tragic that the family of God is struggling to say what's right and wrong. We just don't want to talk about what's right and wrong anymore. It just seems like it's not worth it. Please don't put me on the record of right and wrong anymore because I just don't need the grief that's going to come pounding in. Flip a coin and choose any topic. I thought about giving some illustrations and making us all uncomfortable, but you are already uncomfortable. <laughs> right? You're already uncomfortable because you have access to right and wrong. And you know it. But you don't want to be on the record because the pressure of just declaring right and wrong anymore is so difficult. So all of a sudden, you can understand what an amazing thing it was for Solomon to say, hey, you know what would be really helpful, Lord? I don't want to come to the table with bias. I want a discerning heart. I want to be able to figure out the truth of the situation. I'm going to lay aside all of the things that have weighing on me on this side and the things that are weighing on me on this side. I'm just going to be open to what's happening with the person in front of me. And then, God, would you just help me to never lose track of what's right and what's wrong? For some of you, that's all you needed. If that got in you right there, I know I've said that a couple times today because there's been some, woo, some good stuff going on here. But some of you, that's, that's digging in right now. So let it dig in for a second. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we prayed that way, it would change everything. Maybe. Maybe if we sought that before we sought some of the other things that we're sinking. God, I just need that car. I just need power, authority. I just need to be the boss. I just need that boss to go on vacation and never come back. I just need, like, whatever it is, right? That's not what you need. A discerning heart, the ability to know the difference and act on what's right and what's wrong. Because wisdom requires action, right? Verse 10, it says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for a long life or for wealth for yourself, you haven't asked for death of your enemies, but for discernment and administrating justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and a discerning heart so that there have never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I'll give you what you have not asked for. This is amazing. Riches and honor, so that in your lifetime, you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. That's amazing. God says, I totally recognize the heart that asked for this. Remember, this is the man who wrote, love the Lord your God with all your, no, I'm sorry, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. That's who wrote this. The same guy who said, God, give me a discerning heart and help me to know the difference between right and wrong. The wisest person then who ever lived. Now, 
Something you got to know about Solomon's story that you may not know. When Solomon's father, David, died, there was some unfinished business in the kingdom. And the unfinished business was that they had a heart and a desire to build a place of worship, a temple. They had finally established where they were supposed to be. They had finally, they're in the promised land. The kingdom has borders. The clans, the tribes are united. And now it's time to create a place, an epicenter of worship. Because they had not had this, people would go up basically to the highest place they could find and worship. But what would happen is that worship, and this is kind of a weird way to word this, it kind of got contaminated by some of the locals, and they were all just kind of doing their own thing. And God was trying to create a people who had a specific understanding of who he was. So he needed them to build a place to establish that. Now, David, because of all the wars that he had uh, had to fight to get to where he was at, God said, there's just been too much of that. And so your son in peacetime is going to do this. So Solomon has a big, giant mission. And for the next 20 years of his life, he, through strategy, through connecting with local other kings, through partnerships, through negotiation, through conscription, um, getting uh, uh, labor that didn't have any choice in the matter. He actually takes on one of the largest undertakings that anyone takes on in all of scripture to build the temple from scratch. Now this is important and amazing because Solomon has a big giant goal. And I just want to push into this a little bit. When he has a mission, when he has something he's working on, when he has a task, he lives by his own wisdom. He trusts in God. He doesn't lean on his own understanding. He acknowledges God, and God, in fact, directs his path. As a result, Solomon is incredibly, incredibly successful at putting this temple together. If you jump ahead in the story, uh, you should read this whole story on your own. It's an amazing story, the life of Solomon. First Kings, I'm gonna jump ahead to chapter eight. I'm gonna go all the way down to verse 62, but I'll put it up here so you can see um, what's going on. And uh, what essentially happens is Solomon gets the temple up. After he gets the temple up, he has this amazing moment where he prays. And the spirit and the presence of God shows up. And it says, Then the king and all of Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. He offered fellowship sacrifices to the Lord. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. I just want you to get your mind around those numbers for a second. I don't know who had the bummer job of counting all the sheep and goats as they came through. But they did an offering so epic and so big that it gets the Lord's attention. 1 Kings chapter 9. It says, when Solomon had finished, verse 1, building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and achieved all he had desired to do. I want you to catch this. He depended on the Lord and he achieved everything he had desired to do. It says, then the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said, I've heard the prayer and plea you made before me. I've consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and heart will always be there. As for you, verse four, if you walk before me in integrity and heart and uprightness as David your father's did, father did and do all I commanded and observe my decrees and laws, I'll establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a son on the throne. So God says, good job. 
Your heart has been with me. You've stayed close to me. You've trusted me. I've given you partnership with outlying uh, 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 civilizations. He literally, he actually had treaty with Egypt. And if you know anything about the history of Egypt and Israel, you know that having peace and a treaty between those two nations was a really, really, really big deal. In fact, the, uh, the king of Egypt had given his daughter to Solomon. Right, off the begin, right at the beginning of his reign as a wife, which was kind of how you sealed a, a deal back then between two uh, cultures, say, hey, marry my daughter. Because essentially kings didn't want to have to go to war against their daughter. So you knew if you married his daughter, come on, dads, the last thing you want to do is go to war against your little girl because you're probably going to lose. It's probably the one person that will take you down. Right? She knows all your weaknesses. She's got you. So Solomon marries the daughter of the king of Egypt. And while he's working, he stashes her in Bethlehem because he's out in, uh, in Jerusalem building the temple. So for 20 years, she's just hanging out. It's a contract. She's just hanging out in Bethlehem and he's building the temple. That's what's kind of happening. And while he's building the temple, he's making other deals. And he's working with Hiram, and he's getting, he's getting cedar that's coming from Lebanon, and he's marrying those daughters that, to make those negotiations and those deals. And he's building this network of deals, and he's, he's, he's getting all of it. He's moving in shape. Come on, he's hustling. He's hustling. He's getting it done. He's getting it done. He's trusting God. He's experiencing success. And then God shows up and says, you have done an incredible job. Now remember this. Keep your heart with me. As long as you keep your heart with me, you'll be set. I'll take care of the rest. Where do you think this is going? Jump ahead to chapter 11. I have to fast forward the story or we'll be here till next Sunday. Some of you got jobs to do and things like that. So I want you to catch verse one here. King Solomon, however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Termites. Oh, sorry, no, I don't know. <laughs> Just seeing if you're listening. <laughs> they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they'll surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Couple of crazy things. He had 700 wives of royal births and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. I don't know what to do with those numbers. I know they're true. I just can't get my mind around those numbers. My beautiful bride is right here in the front. And she is everything I could ever imagine and all I could ever handle. Right? Come on, somebody. <laughs> She's everything and my all. But here's what Solomon was doing. He was hustling. He was making deals. He's like, hey, I need your lumber. The king's like, well, I need to know when I give you lumber, it's not going to go into chariots that come back and stomp over my people. How do we make sure? I don't know. Here, marry my daughter. Cool. Send her to, send her to the, you know, the temple. It's up. We got it going. And all of a sudden, Solomon, deal after deal after deal after deal, just hustling, making deals, negotiating. All of a sudden, come on now. God had given him some pretty good things to trust in. Was he trusting in the Lord or was he trusting in his decision and his deal making? He was hustling. 
right? He's making, this is a minor concession. We do this all the time, right? I know, Lord, uh, 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 let me hit us low for just a second, then I'll bring it up, right? I know I'm supposed to trust you with my finances, and I'm supposed to give what you put in my heart to give, but I'm not going to do it right now, because if I take this and I make this deal, then maybe down the road I'll have more, and then, then I can actually come back, and we'll square up then, God. I'm just hustling. I'm just hustling, right? I know I'm supposed to shepherd my home and I'm supposed to be an example, but you got to understand, God, the game's on. We'll do that later. I'm just hustling, right? I know, I know I'm supposed to rest and observe the Sabbath, but this is the moment where if I just put more hours in, I might get elevated to a place and then I'll get to rest and then I'll obey your word. Then I'll trust in your promises. When I get to the other side, I'm just gonna make this work. It's the same guy. He wrote, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Man, let's skip down to verse 9 in the same chapter, and we're, we're, we're closing in. It says, Then the Lord became angry with Solomon, whoo, because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Here's what happens. You know this in any good relationship. You fall out of love with things. You don't spend time with them. You don't connect. You're not close. You'll say, oh, yeah, I remember being in love with them, being close. But right now I got this other stuff going on. I got 700 wives that need attention. <laughs> exactly. And look at this. His heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Are you kidding me? I don't know anybody that's not a prophet. Like it's this many visitation face-to-face -face moments like this with the Lord. And he gets number three right here. Although the, he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you haven't kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, almost certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I won't do it during your lifetime, but I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. This is crazy. Solomon had a 20-year mission to get this temple built. And his palace and the wall around Jerusalem, all of those missions, all those important things, all of those monuments to his faith. And after he accomplished what he had decided was his life's mission to accomplish, this is tough, guys. In his retirement season, come on now, on the back half of the big accomplishment, he just decided to rely on himself. And as he did, it took him farther and farther away from the Lord. And ultimately, within a generation, all of the things he'd worked for, gone. And here's what struck me as I read this. God always, always, cares more about developing you than the project he's trusted you with, right? 
He always cares more about developing you than the project he's entrusted you with. Those projects come and go. I mean, can you think of a bigger thing than building the temple of God? And that thing was gone. That thing was out. He always cares more about developing you and your heart and your life and being close to you and partnering with you. The things he calls us to do here on earth, they're good. You should do them. You should accomplish what he's designed you to do. We've talked time and time again that you were designed to, to, for the works that he, he created and predestined for, knew for you to do, and he enables you to do them. And it's amazing to partner with God and accomplish that. And some of those things do have eternal impact, but nothing is as significant on your journey as whether or not you make a decision to continue to trust God with all of your heart, to continue to not lean on your own understandings, but in all of your ways to acknowledge him and allow him to direct your path. Here's what I struggle with. Maybe I'm the only one. When I'm in crisis, I love trusting God. I love it. Sometimes when we're in crisis, we just need to hear, hey, you need to trust God. No, no, no. My default mode is, I've messed this up. Jesus! Right? My trust goes like from this to bing, this. When there's a big project or a big decision, especially if it affects my family or it affects my future, and I, whatever it is, right? I am, as, I am as trust God as there gets. I'm ready to trust God. You know when I'm really in danger? After that. After God comes through. After God wrecks my plan, reforms my plan, changes all of the things that he needs to change to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And we're on the other side of that. And I go, sweet, I got this now. That's when I'm in danger. That's when I'm at risk. That's when the most possible outside influence can get a hold of my heart. That's when I forget the things I promised God when I was in crisis. When I didn't have no money or no food, it was easy to get here and say, God, provision. But when I'm deciding between, well, should I really spring for the steak or, you know, should I? It's pretty easy for me to be like, all right, I got this. Right? I pray for the food still. Right? You bless it. But trusting God isn't a means to an end. It's a process that lasts our whole life. That's the, that's the big takeaway on how do we trust God. It's not a means to an end. God doesn't need you to trust him so you can do the thing you really want to do with your life. He needs you to trust him so you can know him, so you can develop a relationship with him. You see, God's always concerned more about our hearts than our accomplishments. I'm going to tell you one story, and then we're, we're almost done. I told you earlier I'd done youth ministry stuff for years, and, and uh, I had this formula that I would try to use, and it never seemed to work out. It kind of worked out for me because uh, I, I did it when I was a teenager, so I assumed it would work for everybody, right? But I would sit down with young ladies or young men, and they would talk about some person that they wanted to date or, you know, that they, that they were trying to find that Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And so I would do this, this kind of this drill with them. And I would say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out a piece of paper. I'm going to leave you here for a little while. And I want you to write out everything, everything you can think of that Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright would have as far as characteristics. Like, I want you to design the correct Mr. Wright you think for you. I want you to do it. Go ahead. And then I'd leave them to go do it. 
and they'd write it out and they'd write out, you know, there'd always be things like handsome, you know, loves the Lord, committed to God, because I'm going to read it. So they're, you know, they're doing, they're doing, you know, what, what I, because I would keep that, right? And I would use it like as leverage in their life forever, right? But I remember I, one specific case, I was doing that with this, this girl and she came in and she'd been through just some horrible relationships and she was a young adult and I had had her in youth group. And so I'm taking her through this exercise. And at the end of this exercise, what I would always say is, listen, if you'll wait, if you won't chase who you know is not Mr. Right, right? If you'll wait until it's this person, watch and see what the Lord will do. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it wouldn't. And, and, and I would get frustrated when it wouldn't work. Because I thought, man, that's really good. Like that should work, God. But oftentimes what would happen is somewhere along the line, Mr. Wrong would show up and he was just too good to resist. And they would just chase off. And I'd be like, hey, I got this letter you wrote. And they'd be like, sweet, can you do the wedding? I was like, ah, right? But I had an epiphany as I was studying this. I had a conviction. I was thinking about that wisdom, right? Begin with the end in mind. And here's what hit me. The problem is I kept, and this is I'm being transparent, I kept encouraging them to look for Mr. Right. I forgot to tell them be Mrs. Wright. Be the person you just described. Be that person who loves God, who trusts God, who, who is kind, who has a sense of humor. Whatever that is that you put on here, be that person. Don't just trust God to bring in something that you're not willing to partner with him to do. Whoo. You take that into your world. You're like, ah, oh, I just... I just need the best boss. I need a better boss. Be Mr. Right employee. I just, my spouse just needs to, mm, you be what you're looking for. You worry about you. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You stop leaning on your own understanding. You in all your ways acknowledge him and you see if he doesn't take the rest of the way and direct your paths. You put him to the test in this. You have my permission. You see what happens there. But that's the dilemma. That's the question. The problem with trusting God is you can't manipulate God. If you have to be in control, you'll never surrender. If you have to be in control, you'll never surrender, right? If the outcome has to go the way you want it, you'll never surrender. Paul later on will talk about how the wisdom of God is foolishness to men and the outsiders. And I was thinking about that. I was just thinking about how trusting God sometimes looks foolish. And then I thought, you know what? If we can't look different than the world and what's going on out there, if our trust levels don't look ridiculous sometimes, then what are we doing here? Why are we getting together and having these conversations and praying and doing it? If we're just, if our goal is to just make our lives make sense to everybody else, what in the world? We missed it. We missed it. We missed it. So listen, for the next several weeks, we're going to just be talking about this idea of, of wisdom and wise things and how they can help us. But I just thought we needed to start with this almost horrific lesson from Solomon. What you don't realize is all that happens, if you, have, if you don't read the rest of the story, all that happens 
the, the kingdom gets ripped from his family. His son first move is an incredibly knuckleheaded move and it divides the kingdom. And one of the subordinates ends up in charge and enemies start rising up and it's over. It's the end of the story. It's the end of the greatest reign that we've ever seen just in history because after he accomplished what God called him to accomplish, he didn't live what God called him to live. God always cares more about that partnership of your life than what you accomplish. Does he want you to accomplish? Yes, go do it, do it. I'll cheerlead you all the way through. But don't do it at the expense of trusting God. Lean and not on your own understandings and acknowledging him. God, this morning I'm just so challenged to be who you've designed me to be. Not just to do what you've called me to do, but I want to be who you've designed me to be. I want to be someone who trusts you. I pray that I never hit a season of my life where someone would look at it and say, well, that's, that's something he could manage on his own. I always want to trust you. I always want to have faith that you can do anything that you call us to do. I I never want to hit a season where I've made it. I never want to hit a season where I'm there. God, I pray for for those in the room right now who just even need to, to, to trust you to get through this immediate thing. Help us, Lord God, to trust you. Not with just some of our heart, but with a backup plan, but with all of our heart. Help us, God, when others would say, well, that's foolish. The way you planned was foolish. You should have done it this other way. You could have if you would have. And we would just say, you know what? We don't, we don't do economy the same way we do economy. We live our life trusting God. I pray that the world would know. I pray that our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers would go, wow, what's so different about you? And you, we would be able to just say, well, we just trust God. I pray that we would pray what, what Solomon prayed, that, that we'd never lose our discerning heart and we'd never compromise what's right and wrong. We wouldn't just mail it in this time thinking, oh, we'll make it up later. But you would instead, God, put in our heart a strong desire to be close to you and to be near you. Would you give us wisdom, I pray. We thank you for